Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, my name is Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Lint Podcast. As lockdown continues, companies are focusing on how we use tech in the home and in particular enjoy the hours of streaming content we're all consuming. I'm sure some of you, like me, will begrudgingly admit that we've almost completed Netflix. There are rumours of a new Chromecast, which Pocalin editor Chris Hall is here to discuss. Rick Henderson interviews the VP of Programming at Roku to talk about how and what we're watching. And to finish it all off, we've got a review of the new Sonos Arc speaker. It's promised to make anything you watch or listen to in your living room sound, well, just better. But first, Chris is here to talk about Sabrina. So first question I have, Sabrina, is it someone or something? Sabrina is something, all right. Um, Sabrina is a code name, apparently, that Google has applied to its latest Chromecast device. So we we know it as Sabrina. I doubt it would come to market as Sabrina because that would be a very odd way to sell <laughs> what is really an HDMI streaming dongle for your TV. Now, the important thing about this story is that Google seems to be changing direction from Chromecast of the past. If you think about how Chromecast worked before, it was very much about plugging something into your TV and then doing everything else with your phone. So you'd go through your phone, decide what you what you wanted to watch on Netflix or any other streaming service, well, as long as it's supported, and then you would cast it, and then the hardware would take it over and feed that into your TV. It's a brilliant idea, but it's always been a little bit tricky to use, and Google now seems to be trying to address that by coming up with this new version, Sabrina. Okay. So the big difference here is that Google is accepting that the no remote approach is probably not the most user friendly. And all of the rumors and all of the leaks are pointing to this being a fully functioning TV device with a remote control. So that's going to completely change the experience and be very much unlike Chromecasts of the past. And and very similar, I suppose, to Fire Stick TV from Amazon, from the Roku Stick uh, and, and Apple TV and all those kind of typical little boxes that you plug into your TV and you just use as a remote. Yeah, it seems that Google's really going into the mainstream. And I think that the uh, those those lower level Roku and Fire TV devices are the sort of thing that is going over. I mean, obviously, Apple TV is slightly different because it's so much further up the scale and it does support sure. a lot of functionality that Apple provides through its ecosystem that the others don't really go very close to. Um, At the moment, we don't know that much about what the Chromecast is going to offer, but there have been rumors that this will be running on a new version of Android TV, and Google might also be changing that to be called Google TV in the future, which is where all the parts of this puzzle start to fall into place. So we're expecting a new user interface, but compatibility with the Android ecosystem, so you'll be able to go and get those TV apps. So if you have a streaming service in your region, you should be able to use Sabrina to go on, find that, install the app, and that should mean that it's compatible with a huge range of, of uh, different services. And because this is being so closely linked to Android, you'll probably get updates to those services really quickly. You won't be waiting for a manufacturer to change a version of an app that they have on one of their devices. So it, it could be very enticing. It's certainly a long time coming. And 
in my own house, I have a range of different devices to use. And I have to honestly admit that Chromecast just becomes a little bit too fiddly when you're dealing with lots of people and, you know, you've got your rest of your family trying to use it and you just need to pass them on the remote and they just need to be able to press pause. And that's the real advantage here is it's just going to be so simple to use. Now, the final question I have for you is this is obviously, let's stress this clearly, this is a rumor so far. Uh, it's obviously lots of, you know, sites are reporting on this. We're reporting on it. There's official looking screenshots, things, you know, product shots and stuff like that. If this does become a reality, when are we likely to see it? That's a very good question. Google <laughs> has been uh, cancelling events that it would have normally launched things at. Google I.O. was cancelled. Then they had something called the Android Beta Show that was also cancelled. So we're kind of looking at an empty space where there's a range of Google products that should be appearing. Some rumours are saying that there's going to be a launch event around the middle of July, which might see us getting a new version of Android, a new uh, Pixel 4a phone, and poss possibly Sabrina will join that party. Still to come, Rick gives us his verdict on the Sonos Arc Dolby Atmos speaker. It has quite a grunt to it. It's just not, it's not going to sort of like, when you're watching a, an action movie, it's not going to sort of like roll around through your body like a really good subwoofer would do. With streaming services coming to our aid more than ever, and hours spent watching online said to be up to 80% year on year, video on demand is having a boom period. At the heart of it all is Roku, one of the longest serving proponents of video streaming, having made set-top boxes and dongles for over 12 years. It recently launched its own free streaming channel in the UK after its successful period in the US, which is not only available on Roku devices, but also SkyQ and Now TV too. Pocalint's Rick Henderson spoke to Brands Vice President of Programming, Rob Holmes, about the British channel launch and how streaming is helping us all get through lockdown in general. Rick started by asking how the new service had been received so far. You know, it's it's really I think we're we're really happy to see the results so far. Um, you know, I think it, it, it's such a um, it's so needed at this time. I think is really a, a way to frame it, which is it, it's a great collection of, of ad supported content. Uh, it's free. It's ad supported. There's no login required, and I think with so many folks. Um, you know, sheltering at home and I think um, sort of needing an escape and, and viewing content as a, as a way to kind of, um, you know, think about and re-engage with the world around them. Uh, you know, we've seen, I think, great uh, reception and great success with it. And I think it just happened to be a, a really uh, a great time to launch it. Actually, we're touching on the fact that it's free and ad supported. How important is that in a, in a streaming age where there are so many paid for services? Yeah, you know, I think that that if you think about sort of a consumer and what they're looking for in the streaming world, I think they're largely looking for choice. And and so they want to be able to decide, OK, I'm going to spend money on some set of content, uh, you know, be that uh, Netflix or Amazon or others, uh, Disney Plus. But then they also want to be able to expand their overall access to content. And I think it's important for them to be able to do that in a way that delivers value to them. And that's where we really think that ad supported content or AVOD comes in. Uh, and does really well, which is, you know, unlike a subscription where the consumer has to, um, uh, you know, sort of sustain that payment on a month-to-month -month basis, AVOD's available when they're looking for content, but there's no carrying cost uh, when they're not, and so when they're uh, when they're not watching anything, so they can look in the channel, they can find something 
uh, to watch this month. Uh, and that's great. And if there's nothing they want to watch right now, they can come back next month. There'll be new content and maybe they find something then. So I think for consumers, it really helps them to experience the broad value of streaming um, and expand their content choices in a way that's that's really affordable to them. Can you explain how the ads work on the Roku channel? Is it during the? Is it like conventional TV where they appear during the content, or is it at the beginning and end? Yeah, we've really tried to create a great ad experience in the Roku channel uh, since the beginning in the U.S. and and have brought that same learning to the U.K. So um, uh, we try to deliver an experience without pre-roll, so we get you right into the content, uh, right into the show without having you sit through you know several minutes of ads. Uh, and then we have a lower overall ad load during the course of viewing. So you will see ads during the movie, during the show, uh, you know, at appropriate points. Uh, but that overall ad load is lower than what you might be used to from uh, broadcast, uh, ad support broadcast. Uh, and so we've seen that users, I think, really like um, that overall experience and have found it to be really positive. In addition, you know, one of the challenges that we've seen in, in digital video uh, for a while is the repetition of ads. Um, that's something that consumers really, uh, at some point, become frustrated with. And so we, we sought to create an experience where you're not going to see the same ad over and over and over again, which is um, you know, something that I think is, is very frustrating to them. So overall, we found it to be a really positive ad experience for our consumers. Um, it's in the UK, it's not just available through uh, Roku devices or the Roku TV. Um, it's also available on SkyQ and Now TV. Is this the start of Roku also being a broadcaster? No, I mean, I, th- I think that, that we, we do um, want to make sure that it's available to a broad set of users. And we were really excited about our partnership with Sky because Sky, uh, both through the Now TV platform and the Sky Q platform, um, can help us to make the Roku channel available to a broad set of users right out of the gates here. Um, and I think that helps us to really uh, offer value to a broader set of users help them engage with Roku as a brand and, and understand sort of who we are and what we're about. And, um, and then also uh, with our advertising partners um, to, to reach a broader audience, which is important to them as well. So I, I think there's a lot of value for them there. Um, but this is really, I think, for us about streaming overall. And I think, um, you know, we can certainly uh, um, uh, you know, want to continue to grow the service and our presence in the UK. Um, looking at the uh, the amount of content that's already available on it, there's an awful lot of free shows and films from several different partners. Um, are you in talks to bring more in time? Um, you know, I think we, we've actually already added a little bit more content since launch and something where, um, you know, we, we work with a, a large number of partners, over 40 partners at this point. Um, actually, just earlier this week, uh, we launched some additional uh, uh, kids and family content in the Roku channel. Kids and family is one of the areas um, that we offer in the Roku channel as a, an area for folks to find uh, content that's appropriate for, for kids and family audiences. And we, we added uh, Coco Melon and Kids Diana, which are uh, some of the top uh, kids-focused YouTube channels and create great content that's really compelling for uh, for that demographic. And so we, we've already started to add more content uh, to the experience uh, from new partners and then also existing partners um, are, are also looking to add additional content as well. So uh, certainly look to add more content over time. And that's really been one of the ways that we've grown the Roku channel uh, in the U.S. is just by continuing to add more content uh, from existing partners as well as expand the overall uh, portfolio of partners. Um, because of its timing, obviously, it came at a time when uh, a lot of different countries were just about to go into lockdown and had a lot more time on their hands. And with your kids-friendly section, there was an, there's an awful lot of parents that look into entertaining young children who aren't going to school at the moment. Um, 
was that actually planned for that t- period or is, is that purely a co- coincidence no i mean i th- i think that with the um with the lockdown and, and the current situation we're in i mean no, no one really could have foreseen it and, and this for us has been in the works for for over a year at this point so um we were uh, i think um excited uh, to be able to bring this experience to market at a time when it was really needed by our users. Um, so I think we, we found that to just be, um, um, you know, I guess a, a coincidence. Um, but, but I think we've, we've really, in this period, have, uh, as a company, uh, focused on stepping up for our users and creating great experiences that help them given the kind of current situation. And so bringing the Roku channel uh, to the UK at this time was was really, I think, uh, a coincidence from that standpoint. But everything that we've done on platform, you know, both in the UK and the US, um, has been about helping people to find content that's important to them right now. So within the Roku channel in the UK, you know, ad supported generally, I think is helpful for people, both because there's a lot of time that they have at home right now, um, but also because it's a great value. And right now, I think people are concerned about the overall economic situation and not looking to spend a lot more money on things. So generally speaking, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good time to be launching uh, AVOD. And then with respect to kids in particular, exactly as you said, I mean, there are so many people who now have their kids at home during the day. Uh, they're looking for things that they can do with them to engage them actively, um, to have educational content, which is part of the kids and family experience as well. And so we've worked to highlight some of that uh, as, as part of the experience overall. Um, even before lockdown, it seems like we're entering a real boom period for video on demand. Um, what with studios each looking to release their own streaming platforms. Um, can, do you see that? Do you Have you seen that trend? Because you're uniquely placed being a device manufacturer and you also provide programming of your own. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I mean, I think this year, uh, and it was the beginning of the streaming decade, so we were already going to see a, a substantial number of, of significant service launches. You know, think about Disney Plus, for example, you know, which is now available in a number of territories internationally. Um, you know, the fact that Disney is bringing iconic intellectual property uh, uniquely to uh, a streaming service, to things like The Mandalorian from the Star Wars universe, I think just tells you about how mainstream and how important uh, streaming has become. Uh, and so I think that was uh, already, you know, sort of in place. Then with the current environment, uh, I think we're just seeing an acceleration of those trends. And so people are spending a lot of time on streaming and they're coming to really understand the overall appeal of it. And I think it's going to accelerate the long-term trend uh, towards streaming as the future of TV, which is really you know, sort of what Roku uh, is, is about overall. And I think one of the interesting things and, and really speaking to the Roku channel here is we are always very happy to have partners come on the platform if they want to uh, build their own experience. But in order to do that successfully, I think you have to do a number of things well. You obviously have to have great content and be able to curate a service that's appealing to users, which a lot of programmers and content owners uh, have done for a long time. But then you have to have these new skills of creating technology platforms that deliver a seamless, easy to use experience for users. You have to know how to acquire customers in a direct-to-consumer environment, which uh, is both an expensive proposition and also, I think, a a challenging skill that that, uh, a lot of these folks haven't really had to have historically. Uh, Disney, just to to call them out again, you know, spent a lot of money acquiring BAMTech and then acquiring Fox in order to, I think, have a very compelling combination of both content and and platform capabilities. And, And Canada, I think that's just beyond the capabilities of many content owners. And so this sort of division of uh, producing and curating content, but then partnering with somebody to deliver that experience 
is a, is a really compelling partnership. And that's really, I think, where the Roku channel comes into play is we can help people to come onto the Roku platform to access this um, exploding streaming audience easily on the Roku platform and other platforms because um, we handle all that technology element. We handle the customer acquisition uh, and those different components as well as the monetization overall. So we, we've seen a lot of partners that want to participate in the streaming ecosystem be really excited about the model with the Roku channel. Uh, and so even as this sort of world explodes, I think you're going to see these two sides uh, kind of continue to exist together. The really large substantial investment in these services from these global entertainment companies and then more and more people who have content and want to access the streaming world looking to partner with services like the Roku channel. Um, having been a TV producer and made shows all the way from the old cable networks uh, and up and making shows that only about 10 people saw, um, could the Roku channel eventually become something for, for someone like myself, who is an independent producer who wants to make TV shows, but then requires somewhere to put them that isn't YouTube? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in fact, I think with the, the news I was talking about earlier with uh, Coco Melon, uh, you know, the large YouTuber, and I think that's exactly the kind of thing and that they're doing is somebody who doesn't have the, the technical wherewithal to do all these things or isn't able to make that investment. The Roku channel is a bridge for them into streaming. Um, and so working with, uh, you know, this sort of portfolio of partners that we have, we are, are looking to expand it to continue to bring in more and more content. Um, so that's absolutely, I think, one of the elements of the Roku channel is it helps to bring more great content to the platform and then makes it easy for users to find, not only on the Roku platform as well, but of course on, on Now TV and, and SkyQ. Um, looking at the devices, do you think, um, Roku has been around since almost since the, the streaming boom, the inception of the whole streaming device market, um, and has been there ever since seeing off many many rivals do you think that that the, the the strategies and the plans have now are now going to come into massive fruition that we're, we're reaching a time when Roku devices make more sense than ever yeah I mean I think that works in a number of different levels so um, you know the Roku has always thought that all TV will be streamed that's kind of the the, the big worldview that we have and of course all TV advertising then will always will also be streamed and so the, the device business was really where we started as a way to uh, give people access to a streaming platform but increasingly we're embedding our operating system uh, in other uh, uh, manufacturers devices so in November in the UK, uh, we launched in partnership with Hisense a Roku TV. That was our, our first uh, Roku TV in the UK, but it's a strategy we, we've had in several markets internationally, including the US, where we're now one out of three smart TVs sold. So I think it's it's really about um, bringing the operating system to as many people as possible, either through device sales or through connected TVs. And then once that's available, you know, sort of as easily and seamlessly as possible for many users, then you really see this explosion of services and consumption and engagement, uh, you know, which we've seen in the U.S. I mean, we shared some numbers on our earnings call, uh, you know, a few weeks ago in terms of just overall volume for us. And, you know, in, in the first quarter of 2000, uh, sorry, of, of 2020, gosh, we're, uh, we're, we're farther along into the, the century <laughs> here. Uh, in 2020, you know, we, we had almost 40 million active accounts uh, and that's growing, you know, 37% year over year, and we streamed over 13 billion streaming hours, uh, growing 49% year over year. And that trend actually accelerated uh, into April. And so I think, you know, with this current situation, we're just seeing that explosion that I was talking about. 
But you know, I think the the transition to streaming and the mainstreaming of streaming, if you will, uh, is very much happening globally at this point. So it's it's a really exciting time to sort of see from the growth of you know a small box 12 years ago to a global operating system. Uh, it's really phenomenal trajectory. And and on that note, and finally, my final question is: uh, Can you therefore see a time? And not too far down the line, when traditional broadcasting could be completely replaced by streaming. I mean, I think there, there's there's a couple ways to think about that, right? So the content that's available in broadcasting is great content, and it will continue to be great content, uh, and it will uh, and and that content is already available through devices like Roku. Um, and then there's also sort of how somebody gets it, and so sort of the the broadcast access uh, that they have, um, and. I think that as more and more people have these streaming platforms, it's an incredibly convenient way to access that great content that already exists. And so you can have uh, on-demand, you can have live streaming, uh, you can sort of add on additional services. I think it just offers you so much more choice and overall value um, to be able to engage with your content in whatever way you choose. Uh, and so I, I think consumers, we are going to see, and we have seen that migration from uh, the sort of TV of today to streaming. Uh, and so I think that's that's absolutely happening today. But but many of these partners, as we talked about with Disney, but also in BBC and others, they're already on the streaming platforms and have found a way to meaningfully engage users there. And I think they'll certainly continue to see that consumption grow as well. Pocalimp first reviewed the Sonos Playbar in 2013, and now seven years later, it's getting an upgrade in the guise of the newly launched Sonos Arc. But it's not just a case of being a straight replacement for the Playbar. The Arc brings plenty of new bells and whistles to the party, including support for Dolby Atmos. Rick's been playing with the new speaker and is here to tell us more. So, Rick, what's the good bits about the Arc? Well, the Sonos Arc is um, a, a quite a different beast to, as you said already, the Play Bar. Um, the, the Sonos has dabbled in the um, sound bar field before, but has never really gone sort of like full in. The Arc really feels like its first proper full-fledged sound bar. That's partly because it's got mm. Dolby Atmos, and that is a massive step forward. Um, it's also got... Um, all the Sonos normal bells and whistles, like multi-room audio, it has Google Assistant and Amazon Alexa support built into the actual bar itself. Once you've activated it through the app, you can actually use either Alexa or Google Assistant uh, and integrate that within your normal Alexa and, um, and smart home equipment. Um, and then it's also got uh, Apple AirPlay 2. So it's got a hell of a lot more on board than Sonos has put in a previous bar. It also has 11 wow. speaker drivers inside. So even if you cannot use the Dolby Atmos, which we will come to in a minute, you still get an, a really good virtual 5.0 effect because it has um, angled speaker drivers at either end, which create the sort of like the mm. virtual surround. And it has a a dedicated center channel. Now, the Play Bar didn't have that. So it has a dedicated center channel, which is excellent for clarity, especially in voice. And it also has two other uh, left and right drivers to actually give you sort of like a, a wider soundstage. Um, 
I used it quite a lot in just 5.0 before I actually kind of activated the Dolby Atmos, um, mainly because ultimately not an awful lot of us have access to Dolby Atmos material all the time. So, um, so I, I wanted to get a feel for what it sounded like in a normal situation. And wow, I mean, I own a play bar. It blew that out of water. Now, do you need to, to get the most out of this? Can you just buy this, this, the Arc on its own? Or do you need to start thinking about satellite speakers and subs and all the other stuff as well? Personally, I, I, I mean, if you're a real purist, if you properly want your home cinema to sound like a home cinema, um, you fully recommend that you get a, a pair of Sonos Ones or One SLs and chuck them at the rears. But I, I don't think it's necessarily worth doing that. Um, the one thing I would add to it, if you really want a better experience, is a sub, is the Sonos sub. But the actual bass response on this is, is better than I've heard in many soundbars. It has quite a grunt to it. Um, it's just not, it's not going to sort of like, when you're watching a, an action movie, it's not going to sort of like roll around through your body like a really good subwoofer would do. But it does give you, it, it's got some great bass response anyway. So um, if you're after simplicity, it's a very good bar for that. It's Because it looks also, I mean, this is the other thing that I was really impressed by is that most Sonos products kind of are, in the past have had an awful lot of design to them uh, to make them look Sonos-y. This right. is very subtle. Uh, Giles Martin very clever uh, said to me roughly uh, in last week's podcast, um, a good audio product should be heard and not seen. And this, I, I can honestly say that this um, this arc is very is very much in that mould in the fact that it kind of blends in, especially if you've got the white one and a white wall, you won't even see it really. And so, do you? One of the probably if you're upgrading, if you have a play bar and you're interested in in going for this, can you can you still plug it into your old Sonos sub and your old Sonos ones if you've got that? Can you just do a quick quick straight swap out, or is it a bit more complicated than that? Yes, you can, well, you can, but only after the Sonos S2 software has launched. Now, uh, that is coming 10th of June. So, uh, sorry, 8th of June is the Sonos S2 software. The, the bar is coming out 10th of June. So it will automatically be available for you when you get your bar. You'll have to upgrade all your other kit to Sonos S2 to integrate the bar into your system. Um, and obviously, that um, if you go onto PocketLint, we explain an awful lot about the Sonos S2 software and specifically all the legacy products that Sonos S2 software won't work with. So there are there are some that the Arc might not work with, um, but we're talking about products that came out, you know, up to 13 years ago. So, you, you know, apart from very, very early legacy products, the Sonos Arc will just completely integrate very, very simply as if you bought any other Sonos speaker. Um, the one thing that I would say about compatibility, though, is if you are buying it for mm. the Dolby Atmos, then you have to consider that it doesn't have a source input. Now, some Dolby Atmos soundbars have a source input, which means that you can um, put your 4K Blu-ray player, for example, straight into the bar and then out of the bar yeah, goes no, no, no. into the TV. So the bar does all the decoding. Um, and therefore, you're getting Dolby Atmos from your source without the TV having to be involved. You could put any old TV on the back of it then. This is the, this has to be plugged in only to the TV. So to get Dolby Atmos, you absolutely need a TV 
with a couple of features. One, it needs to at least have HDMI, HDMI ARC, ARC, which is often found on one port from a TV in the last five years. Um, it preferably HDMI E ARC, which is the latest standard, but that won't, you know, you're talking 2020 TVs for that. And it also has to have Dolby Atmos support. Now, that's really important because TVs older than about 2018 definitely don't have that. Um, And that means that if you don't have Dolby Atmos support on your television, you cannot use Dolby Atmos. So definitely worth that's kind of that would to me would be kind of definitely something that they need. You need to check if you're going to buy this to make sure that your TV is is got Dolby Atmos support for it. Because otherwise, you're not necessarily going to get the benefit, and then it becomes an expensive yeah, purchase, doesn't it? Because then and you're not only upgrading your sound sound capabilities, but then you have to explain to uh, to someone in the house that you're actually having to buy a new TV as well. Yeah, that's the big that's the big deal. I mean, you can you like I say, it has excellent normal virtual surround capability so you could technically you could future proof yourself by buying the bar first and then plan to buy a new tv over the next year or so but you will need a new tv essentially if you don't already have and so all that in mind sound the quality and everything else is this something you'd recommend to people yeah superb um i'm generally a, a a fan of sonos products because i like the way they integrate but in terms of sort of like the, the the actual audio quality, this is right up there with the with the best Dolby Atmos soundbars I've actually heard. So, uh, and we're talking about you know a lot of big name audiophilic products out there. Um, I mean, if you really want to go purist, get get different products and put Dolby Atmos speakers in your ceiling. Yeah. But but as a nice simple solution, this is a, an excellent proposition. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip pip. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.